0: Well, good morning, church. Man, it's good to see all of you. This is pretty cool. i got a quick question for you. As we get started, get your hand ready. You know I like to do this hand-raising thing. Raise your hand if you really like watching infomercials. Nobody? Over here. Now some of you are young enough that you might not even know what an infomercial is, okay? So back when you had to watch what they put in front of you on TV, no video on demand, no YouTube, no selection whatsoever other than the channel you were watching, sometimes the channels wouldn't have much, and so they would put on infomercials, which are kind of like the ads between YouTube videos or TikTok videos or whatever videos it is you're watching. And the difference was it could be like 30 minutes or an hour long, right? One product for an hour, imagine. Okay, now some of you are old enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And there was one infomercial that I found myself watching a lot as a kid. How many of you have heard of the Ronco Popiel automatic food dehydrator? Okay, now we're getting some, so you don't like infomercials, but you know them. Anybody buy a Ronco Popiel automatic food dehydrator? No, there was one in the first service, so I do know now somebody who actually bought it. Well, when I was a kid, sometimes nothing was on. And I would find myself watching the Ronco Popeel Automatic Food Dehydrator infomercial for an entire hour, and then do you know what I would do? I would go find my mom, and I would recite the entire thing to her and try to convince her how much better our lives would be if we just had the Ronco Popiel Automatic Food Dehydrator. Think about all the fruit we would eat because it was now dehydrated, and we could take it with us wherever we went. We could make our own jerky. Like I had, I had it all figured out. We never, ever got. The Ronco, Popil, automatic food dehydrator. But you do know, even if you've never watched an infomercial, you know the famous infomercial line, don't you, right? But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. And that line usually came after a ridiculously inflated price was presented to you and then got whittled down to a still ridiculously overinflated price but somewhat lower and then they would start adding things to that package right but wait there's more you get this you get this you get this you get our other junk that we were trying to sell in the last spot what does all that have to do with who God is you might be asking and it's a good question it's a fair question hang in there we'll get to it in just a minute but first I got to tell you how thrilled I am to be back like I just missed one week but man I really missed it It's good to be back home. It's good to be with you. I missed you guys. I missed being here for worship. And I can tell you that hasn't always been the case. So good on you, Linwood. We miss you when we're gone. It's amazing. It's good to go, and we were thrilled to go, but we were also thrilled to come back. In fact, since the last time most of you saw me, we've driven over 3,400 miles, visited six national parks, eight hotel swimming pools. 26 miles of hiking, about hundred and fifty bottles of water and body armor and it all equated into one grand adventure. We just had a blast. It was amazing. It was amazing to go and it was amazing to come back. And I wrote in my journal, it's good to be home and it's good that it's good to be home. And so we did worship with you as we drove across northern Arizona on our way from Zion National Park to Grand Canyon National Park last Sunday. We watched Pastor Zach and the team do a great job on a great service, and I just love the message. And for those of you that are a little anxious right now, I'll just put your mind at ease. I'm not going to leave the stage today, okay? You could feel it online. You could feel the tension. What's he doing? Where's he going? What in the world is happening? Um, I'll be staying staying up here, but now that that glass has been broken, you better stay awake because you might find me preaching next to you one of these days if you don't. And two weeks ago, I started a new series. And uh, it was titled, God Is. And our first message was, God is alive. Because whatever else God is, he's not alive. What are we talking about? We are not talking about the dead God of dead people. We are talking about the living God who is alive, who is living and active. And he is the God of people who will be alive forever. Those of us who are in relationship with Jesus Christ or are leaning into that and learning more about it, that offer is extended to us that we can live forever with this God who is alive, period. And then last week, Pastor Zach shared about this God, he's jealous for you. He wants your heart. He loves you with an everlasting love and, and we walked through that story of Jonah and, and it really hit home how close Nineveh was and how far Tarshish was. Like, that really hit home for me in a new way. And so it was awesome to be worshiping with you online. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for our worship team that did an amazing job. Sounded great. Tech team, it was awesome. Today, we're going to talk about this idea that God is so much more. He's so much more. And we'll flesh that out and what that means. But I wanted to preach this message early on. Because everything that we talk about, it's just scratching the surface of who God is and what God is. He's so much more. And any language that we try to put to who God is and what God is falls short. In fact, there was a line in a quote that I shared a couple of weeks ago when I opened the sermon series. It was from a theologian named Adam Clark. And there was one phrase in particular that drives this point home, that God is so much more. He says, God is illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, and indescribable in his essence. He's known only fully by himself because an infinite mind can only be fully comprehended by itself. He's basically using a lot of big words and a run-on sentence to say, God is so much more than our finite minds can fully grasp. And so today, our message, our primary passage, actually reads a little bit like an infomercial. That's why the introduction. Because when I read through this passage about a month ago, as I was going through my banding Together journal and my banding Together journal reading plan, I was in Romans chapter 5, and this phrase, much more, occurs five times in the chapter. And it just reminded me of that, how much more, how much more, how much more, kind of like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. And that, I think, underscores the value of reading God's Word every day, of marching through books or sections of scripture, or reading plans. We have a great resource here called the Banding Together Journal. It's available for you in the lobby if you'd like something to jump on and jump in with some other people. We have students doing it with a more journal that's a smaller passage. If you want to start with a smaller passage, that's great. You read the passage, you interact with the passage. You notice things about it. You seek to ask God to speak to you personally through that passage. And then, if you do this in community, you get to meet with a group of people who are reading the same passage. And you hear what God said to them, and sometimes what God said to them comes back to you and hits home in a new way. And so it was really, really cool. And uh, that was the case for this passage. I'm reading through Romans chapter 5, and I, I make my journal entry titled Much More and focus on how much more God really is. And so if you want to turn to Romans chapter 5, if you need a Bible, we have some in the seats in front of you. You can turn to page 1753. If you're joining us online or you brought your own Bible, that's great. Find your way to Romans chapter 5. We're going to camp out in there for the most part. But before we do, I want to tell you this is a, what we call a literary device. This, this thing that Paul does five times here in the chapter, uh, of, of fifth chapter of Romans, he also does in other places, and we find it throughout Scripture, this if, and then a statement is made or a truth is shared, if that's the case, how much more this? And so it's an if, how much more literary device. I've I think I've confessed before, I'm a recovering English major, so I noticed these things. and I noticed I did a little word search, and I kind of looked at where much more occurs and what the format is, and I found that Paul uses this at least 11 times. He uses it in Romans, first and Second Corinthians, Philippians and Philemon. The author of Hebrews uses it four times, and Jesus even used it about a half a dozen times in the Gospels when he was teaching people. He would say, if you who are evil know how to give your children good gifts, how much more God who is perfect, how much more will he give us? And so that's an example of that, and we see that occurring. It's even in the Old Testament about a dozen times. So if you found your way to Romans chapter 5, I want to start with verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8 are really more the setup for what we're going to be talking about, the real heart of this Messages rooted in 9 through 11. But in 6 through 8, Paul says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, but for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So this is the setup to where we're going, but it also happens to be the gospel. This is a concise presentation of the gospel, the good news, that we were powerless. As Michael prayed right before this message began, that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's the setup. And as Tim Keller said so many times in so many messages, the gospel changes everything. The gospel has the power to change everything, to transform hearts, to bring those who are far from God into relationship with God, those who are separated from God into the family of God. And I share that quote with a somewhat heavy heart because some of you may have heard Tim Keller passed away a couple weeks ago. And uh, I don't want to overdo that, but I've thought about it many times. He was basically my pastor the last eight years. And I can say that with maybe one exception, John Spear, who was my pastor for 10 years and was there on staff, so I was at church a lot. I've probably heard more Tim Keller sermons than anybody else. Hundreds of them. And they've ministered to me so deeply, and they've they've fed my soul so that I could have something to give to you and to the other churches that I've been a part of. But he really believed this. He really believed that the gospel changes everything, and it's crystal clear that Paul believed it too. Paul believed the gospel changes everything. Look at verse 6 and 7. At just the right time, not too early, not too late, when we were still powerless, we couldn't do this for ourselves. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. The perfect son of God for the ungodly. The righteous, the perfectly righteous for the unrighteous. The song we just sang, I will boast in Christ alone. His righteousness and not my own. And then there's this but God statement in verse 8. And one of these days, maybe next year, there's going to be a series titled but God. Because those are two of my favorite words in all of Scripture. When you see the mess that we were in or you see the problem that we were in or you see the problem that God's people were in and then God moves on their behalf. But God. It's not the end of the statement. It's a disjunctive conjunction. It wipes out everything that came before it and it establishes everything that came after it. But God are two of the favorite words in my story because I know where I was without him and I know where I am because of him. So but God are two of the most powerful words in Scripture. But God demonstrates his own love for us, his timeless, everlasting, eternal love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love and the magnitude of God's love are demonstrated in Christ's death for sinners. So make no mistake, this is not a clean up your act and maybe I will accept you kind of God, like all the other religions. No, 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 no. This is an I love you so much and I'm going to die for you in order to reconcile you to me forever, God. That's who we're talking about. That's who Paul is talking about. And so that's the setup for what comes in verses 9 through 11. Let's read those together as well. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, through Christ? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so... But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And that's where I wrote in my journal, God is so much more. How much more, you might ask? Well, let's see, like in verse 9, you see this statement, that if we've now, because we have been justified by his blood, since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by his life? Because he is alive. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We'll be saved from his wrath through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 10, it says that we were reconciled while we were still enemies. And if that's the case, how much more by his life and now that we are part of the family of God. Now, verse 11 is where it started to sound like an infomercial for me, and it was more in the ESV. You see that the new international version in verse 11 says, not only is this so, but we also rejoice. But wait, there's more. The ESV says, even more than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received Reconciliation. Paul will go on in verse 15 and 17 to use this device two more times in this chapter. It's almost as if he's overwhelmed while he's writing it. And he wants that to come across to these Roman believers, some with a Jewish background, some with a Gentile background. He's saying, don't worry about all that. Focus on Jesus. How much more? How much better is the gospel than anything Ever, It's like every time he's adding even more good news onto the already wonderful thing because of the wonder of the gospel. And it really is true. The gospel is so much better than anything ever. And it starts to come through when you read this letter from Paul and you read this chapter. It's right at the center of this big argument that he's building through the first 11 chapters. And one way to illustrate this is actually an illustration that I've used before, but I don't think I've used it here. It's a, it's a Tim Keller illustration, and it fits the context perfectly because we were just on vacation. And, and so imagine for a moment that we were on vacation and I asked you to kind of house sit for me a little bit, to watch my house. Let's pretend we have some dogs. Don't worry. We're not getting dogs. She doesn't want dogs. I don't really want dogs. I love dogs. Don't send me an email. I love dogs, but they tie you down and they're expensive. And we, that's a side note. So anyway, let's, let's pretend that I ask you to bring in the mail, let the dogs out, check on things every now and then. And around day eight, you send me a text. Hey, everything's going great. Just wanted you to know uh, there was a bill that came, and, and I paid it for you. Hmm, That's nice. How do you think that makes me feel? Well, it kind of depends on how big the bill was, doesn't it? Right? If it was $1.15 of postage due... Well, thanks, that's great, I'll, I'll buy you a cup of coffee and you'll owe me two bucks, right? <laughs> now, if it was the electric bill, now we're talking, right? Have you seen those things lately? What in the world? We're, not, we're gonna have to turn the air down. Like, we're just gonna have to go down to the basement, I don't know. But what if it was the mortgage? What if I find out that it was the mortgage was the bill that came and you decided to pay that for me? I, do I feel the same as the $1. fifteen of postage do? Uh-uh. You see, the price that was paid determines how I feel when I get that news, doesn't it? Now, what if I hadn't paid taxes since I started working? And that it all added up to some ungodly amount that I could never pay. With interest, it could easily be half a million dollars. Who knows? I don't know. I don't, don't try to do the math. But what if the notice said, you have to pay this today or you go to jail when you come home? Well, now I'm pretty grateful. That's even bigger than the mortgage. That's, that's, that's a big deal. And, and I think Paul is kind of trying to illustrate this. How much more? How much more? How much more? How much more? Not only this, but much more. Because the price that was paid for you is so much more than you can even imagine. The perfect, sinless Son of God. And I think we see the clearest picture of where Paul is going with this at the end of this section. I told you just a minute ago, the first 11 chapters of Romans are all doctrine and theology. And they're laying out, Paul's laying out a case for the gospel. What the gospel is and who God is and why it matters. And he closes that section with some of the most beautiful words ever written about God. In Romans 11, 33 through 36, he just says, before he moves on, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And ever. that's the concluding remark on this whole eleven chapter long exposition of the Christian faith and why it matters. And then you get a therefore. And remember, every time you read a therefore, you should ask what's a therefore, therefore. It's for all. Romans twelve one, therefore, let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. That, therefore, is there for the whole first 11 chapters that just find their conclusion in this beautiful summation of who God is and what God is. And I believe that a passage like Romans eleven thirty three through 36 is really the only appropriate response to who our God is, this God who is so much more and has done so much more than we can ever hope. To imagine. In fact, that's our bottom line today. If you like to take notes, you can write down the bottom line. God is so much more than we can ever hope to imagine. God is so much more than we can ever even hope to imagine. Then this is good news. Don't be discouraged by it. Because what you understand of God is... It's just a small fragment of, of who he is. And one of the reasons this matters so much, a quote came to mind just before the first service. I said, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and share that. It's, it's not on the screen anywhere, but it's a quote that I've shared before. It's from a theologian named Craig Barnes. He says, we can only surrender what we know of ourselves to what we know of God. And surrender is huge in the Christian life. But we can only surrender what we know of ourselves. So as our self-knowledge and our self-awareness through how God views us, grows we have more to surrender to god and as our awareness of who god is and our understanding of who god is increases we can surrender more to that than we could ever surrender before and so we're process constantly in this process of self-discovery and discovering who god is and surrendering what we learn of ourselves to what we learn of god over and over and over this is the christian life how much more how much more how much more you see, God is so much more than we can ever even hope to imagine, let alone to comprehend or to understand. And there's a similar statement in a similar setting. You see, the book of Ephesians is another letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. We believe this is the most widely circulated of Paul's letters, that it, there's more manuscripts of it. It ended up in more places. And it has a similar structure. The first three chapters are all doctrine and theology, explaining the gospel, why it matters. And then the last three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, are how to live it out. They're practical applications of that truth. And he says at the end of chapter 3, this famous passage, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And we're here 2,000 years later because that's true. And we're singing praises to this God who is worthy of all the glory we can give him. Thousands of miles away, thousands of years later, because it's true. And I love that second half of verse 20. It doesn't just say he's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask and imagine. Because that establishes that we're finite, but he's infinite. He's not limited by our ability to understand him. And that's good news. But it also, what it says next really matters. It says he's going to do this according to his power that is at work within us. So how is he going to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine? Back up the train. How's he going to do it? He's going to do it through us. He's going to do it through you and through me. He's going to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine, not through the angels, not through forces of nature and acts of God. He's going to do it through people who have surrendered what they know of themselves to what they know of God and are eager to learn more about themselves and more about God so they can surrender more of themselves to God. He's going to do it through us. He's going to do it through you and me. You see, the church is Jesus' plan A. (laughs) There's no plan B. It's us. It's us. And there are places in the world where the church is killing it. They are transforming culture. And there are places in the world where the church is not transforming culture at the same rate. Is it God's fault? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think part of the best news ever is this God that we're talking about. He makes much of you. He makes so much of you. How many of you are doing Old Testament option number four in your Banding Together journal? I see some hands going up. Good. We're reading Job right now. Anybody do their reading this morning before you came to church? Job 7, 17. This just leapt off the page at me. I had to smile because I knew what I was preaching on. You know what Job 7, 17 says? This is Job speaking to God. What is man that you make so much of him that you give him so much attention? And I didn't know that was there. I didn't even know. I was reading Job first when this message got slated for this day. And it was like, God wanted me to know this morning, and he wants you to know, and he wants you to know. He makes so much of you. The price that was paid for you is what determines your value, and the price that was paid for you is infinite. God has made so much of you. Now, Job says this out of a place of despair. He's hopeless. He was really good at religion. He was the best of his time at religion. He feared God and shunned evil. He was blameless and righteous. And it was all gone like that. And he's despairing of life. He curses the day he was born. He just said, God, just take me. I don't don't even want to do it anymore. Because he didn't know Jesus. This was pre-Jesus Christ. And it, it turns out well for Job. Read the book. It's worth reading. It turns out, no spoilers, but it turns out okay just like it does for us if we come to Christ. But I wrote in, our, in my journal this morning, may our lives make so much of this God who makes so much of us. May all of our lives, not just mine, not just yours, but all of us, those who, who name the name of Jesus, those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, may our lives make so much of this God who makes so much of us. May we all learn to cultivate a how much more faith in God. I think that's what Paul had. I think that's what drove him onward to plant churches and write letters and be imprisoned and be beaten and be stoned. Not that kind of stoned, the wrong kind of stoned. The stone that almost kills you. Over and over and over again. Because he had a how much more faith in God. That whatever had come before, whatever was ahead, was so much more, so much better. And I can stand here on this stage on June 4th, 2023, and I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am closer to God than I have ever been in my life. And I am thankful. That's like one of the main things, the main thing that I am thankful for. And I was thinking about that on this this trip that we were on. And how there was a shift from an ought to relationship with God. I really ought to read my Bible. I really ought to go to church. I really ought to pray. I really ought to serve. Somewhere along the way, it changed. It shifted to a, I want to. I want to read my Bible. I want to spend time in prayer. I want to go to church and worship. I want to go to church and serve. I have a desire. I want to. But that wasn't the last step because I can tell you right now, I'm at a, I can't wait. Two, I have my alarm set at 5 o'clock. That's just a backstop. I never wake up to my alarm. Because any time after about 3.30 that I wake up, I say, oh, I can go get an extra hour or so with God. 4.30, whenever it is, I get up and I'm eager to spend time with him. Like, I, I, and, and I say that not, not to brag, but to inspire you. Because I, I'm not excited about that. I'm excited about how much more of God there is to discover right now, even where I am. Like, I hope I'm kicking around here for another 40, 50, 60 years. Who knows? I think, man, how much better am I going to know God in another decade, in another 20 years? How much more peace am I going to have? How much more joy am I going to have? How much more love will I have for him and for others as I get to know him better? That's what excites me. I can't wait to see it unfold. I can't wait to be closer to God. I can't wait to know him better and to see just how much more there really is knowing that I'll never see it all. And so I want to ask you, what about you, when we talk about cultivating a how much more faith in God? Are you closer to God than ever right now? Where are you on that ought to, want to, can't wait progression? When we talk about service, do you hear obligations or do you hear opportunities? Because we like to share them as opportunities. We know some people see them as op- obligations, and, and, and that's not ever our intent, never our heart. It's always an opportunity. It's an opportunity to serve. It's an opportunity to be a part of what's taking place. Are you an ought to, a want to, or a can't wait? And one of the real joys of my life is the last six months or so, has been a new banding together group that I started on Wednesday mornings. And, and it grew quickly. There's seven or eight guys that are a part of it. Many of them are reading through Scripture for the first time or the first time in a long time. And one of them came up to me a couple of weeks ago at the end of a message. And he just said, man, thank you so much for inviting me to that group. Thank you so much for bringing me back to God, were the words that he said. He's like, today is living proof. (laughs) My wife didn't feel like coming to church. She's not feeling well. And I would have taken that as a great excuse not to come to church (laughs) a year ago. And instead, I came early, I brought my journal, I did my Bible reading, I wrote in my journal, I caught up, I did some review from the last couple of weeks. He's like, thank you. And I mean, I was like, wow, (laughs) you're welcome. I think he's moving towards a how much more faith in God. Now I think you have a couple of uh, options, three to be specific. In response to any message, I just heard this on a podcast I was listening to, I'm like, man, that's a great way to close a message. You can apply it, you can multiply it, or you can do both. If you want to apply it, maybe there's something that was shared and the Holy Spirit tapped you on the shoulder, or maybe they nudged you, gave you a little holy elbow in the ribs and said, this one's for you, big boy. This one's for you, little lady. And you need to apply something. You need to apply a truth. You need to be changed. James said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. If you just come and listen and don't do anything differently, there's no transformation. But if you respond in faith to what you've heard, if you apply it to your lives, which is part of our Linwood core value of centering our, words, our life on the word, applying it to our lives, then maybe you need to take a step in cultivating a how much more faith. Maybe you need to take a step towards God today in some way. Now, I wish there was a silver bullet. I wish it was like an infomercial. 1995, five easy payments, and you'll be there. You'll have a how much more faith in God. It doesn't work that way. It takes time, specifically unhurried time, and we live hurried lives. There might be some things that need to shift in our lives, some priorities that need to shift in our lives to create unhurried time in God's word, unhurried time in prayer, unhurried time in worship. It is so heartwarming to see so many people in church on the first Sunday of June. <laughs> Let me tell you, this does my heart good. First service was a little light, but second service is a little heavy, and praise the Lord for that. Make sure that church doesn't become optional this summer. If you have to miss because you're away, Find us online, YouTube, Facebook, even if the coverage is spotty and you're driving across Northern Arizona and it pauses at awkward times for an indefinite amount of time. Make it a priority. Make it a priority, spend unhurried time with God, in His word, in prayer, in worship, in service in fellowship. It's not pick one. It's find ways to create unhurried time in all of those on a regular basis so that you can spend time with God. You can't grow close in a relationship with anybody without spending time. And I intentionally use the word cultivate because it's a a farming term. It's an agricultural term. And it implies time. Yes, there's an environment. But you can have the perfect environment, shove a seed in the ground, and you're not going to see anything for a few months maybe half a year, maybe more. And so you see this corn coming out of the ground all over the place. It's because farmers knew what they were doing. They cultivated an environment where the corn could grow, but it's still going to take time. And I think sometimes we get discouraged because we overestimate the impact of a decision or commitment in the short term, and we drastically underestimate the impact of a life of faithfulness. And so I want to encourage you, today is the best day to start if you need to apply this to your life. Maybe you're there, you're like, can't wait. I'm I'm right there with you, Pastor Mark. I can't wait for my next time with God. I can't wait for the next 24 hours of prayer. I can't wait for the next worship service. I can't wait for the next opportunity to serve a brother and sister in Christ. I can't wait. Well, Then you need to multiply it because look out there in that world. We need more people that can't wait for their next experience with God, whether that's worship, whether that's prayer, whether that's serving. We need to multiply it. Somebody needs to know what you know. Somebody needs to, to come, you need to come alongside them and help them to see that this God is alive and he is jealous for you and he is so much more than you can imagine. So much more than you learned in Sunday school. So much more than what that professor in college poked holes into, so much more than what the news media might want you to think. He's so much more. So who needs to know what you know? Who needs to know that God is so much more than we can ever hope to imagine? Make the invitation. Pick up the phone. Make a phone call. Share, share your testimony on face. Do something tangible to multiply the message that God is so much more. You could even throw a house party. How many of you were wondering if I was going to throw that in one more time? We got this house party coming up. And uh, I always trust God with these things that the right people, the people that need to be there, are going to be there. Yeah, worship team, you can come up. I'm almost done. Some of you are wondering. You got extra credit. The message was shorter in the first service. So if some of you want to come to the first service next week, you could do that. Maybe the message will be shorter next week too. Who knows? But we're hosting this house party because we want to make it clear how easy it is to host a neighborhood block party to bring some people into your home that are your neighbors and to create relationship and fellowship. And maybe you strategically invite one or two people from Linwood. Oh, yeah, this is my friend from church. (laughs) So you can start that conversation. And so we're going to be doing that this Saturday uh, at 6 o'clock. If you want to be a part of that, register. Register like today. This is pretty much your last call. (laughs) So if you were thinking, yeah, maybe, let us know. But however you choose to respond, whether you need to apply something, whether you need to multiply this message, just don't do nothing. Okay? Run from nothing when it comes to God and your response to him and to his word. Run from nothing. Do something. With it, Apply it, multiply it, share it, do something with it, and respond in faith to it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are so much more than anything we can ever even hope to imagine. And in these moments, as we reflect on what we've heard, on what we maybe have sensed from your Spirit, Show us what we need to do. And help us to be doers of your word. We recognize that might be different for different people in different stages, different places. But help us to be a people who respond in faith to your word and to what you have set before us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.